When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne. With me is my co-host, Liam Billingham. But you you know us by our reputation as bouncers in the Midwest, right? Like you, <laughs> We were, we were, were the best <laughs> bouncers in New York, but then we moved to the Midwest. Gentlemen, Liam Billingham. <laughs> That guy at the bar is Liam That's Billingham, Liam man. Liam Billingham. <laughs> he couldn't beat anyone up, literally. I'm the opposite of whatever Patrick Swayze is. Your reputation is precedes you. Okay, we're talking about Roadhouse. Today's movie say. is, yeah, we probably should have said, today's movie is Roadhouse, a.k.a. it's Die Hard in a Bar. Die Hard in a Bar. Kind of. Sort of. Kind of. Maybe. Ish. So why are we covering this this one next film? So we're going to talk. You know, the idea of the show that this is action movie genealogy. What we're discussing is Die Hard's influence on action cinema. So we're and we're going in chronological order so that we can kind of track those influences and the evolution of the genre. And Roadhouse, although we're sort of half joking about it being Die Hard in a bar, there are a, a, a weird number of direct connections. Yeah, the first one that you notice is that it says Silver Pictures, and that's the that's of course the most obvious one. Our, our Midas touch action movie producer Joel Silver whose fingerprints were all over the action genre in the 80s. What else did he produce? Can you remember well, offhand? He did, went on to do The Matrix which is probably arguably his greatest success and certainly in terms of, of box office but before that he'd started out with Larry Gordon doing 48 Hours and The Warriors before that and but at before Die Hard, he'd done, of course, the double whammy of Predator and Lethal Weapon. So what's, wow. what's interesting, what I a, think, what about... What a CV. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And it yeah. goes on and on and on. And he's going to be featured heavily in the show. But, All good movies, really. Yeah. So, yeah, let's just do a quick top-line fact check on on Roadhouse just to put it in, in context. So it came out almost a year after Die Hard. It was released by United Artists on May 19th, 1989. Die Hard came out July 20, 22nd, 1988. Mm-hmm. It was directed by the amazingly named Rowdy Harrington. Who made some good movies. Rowdy Harrington is a really interesting, interesting yeah. figure. 
Um, Striking distance. So Joel Silver actually, in when he was trying to get Rowdy Harrington to to direct Roadhouse, invited him to the set of Die Hard. He was introduced to Bruce Willis, and of course they went on to make Striking Distance a few years a few years later. So there's right. a direct connection to Die Hard in that sense. But I have a theory about why Rowdy Harrington got this job because it makes no sense. Because I'd, his previous film. Jack's back with is with James Spader is this it, which was made the year before. I honestly think he got Roadhouse because his name is Rowdy, because there's just no Rowdy is quite a name. There is no yeah. That's I a good swear name. he was looking at a list of like who was the hot directors at that moment or who was the interesting yeah. directors and Rowdy, huh? You know, uh, I, because there's a... just no way you would look at Jack's back and be like. This is yeah. He should direct. And Roadhouse. then he kind of followed it up with some like like a Murder of Crows and a few other sort of more cerebral thrillery action Gladiate, movies. He did a movie called Gladiate, so not Cuba the Russell Crowe one. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's right. Like the a boxing fighting film, movie right? yeah. or a fighting yeah. film for yeah. sure. Yeah. So that kind of checks out. So it feels like Roadhouse is his entry point to uh, certainly to this sort of mainstream. Right. Say it made this sort of odd. I love Jack's back. I think it's I think it's a really interesting, really strange, quirky movie. Mm-hmm. Very much worth checking out. But this was really his entry into the studio system and the mainstream. Um, because this is a this is a star vehicle for Patrick Swayze. Let's be very clear. Right. This is let's talk more about who's about, in the movie. Yeah. Okay, so so the movie stars Swayze, Ben Gazzara, Kelly Lynch, and Sam Elliott, amongst others. Sam Elliott, um, my God. When that comes up, when when you see and Sam Elliott come yeah. up on the opening credits. Doesn't that just You're what, uh, yeah. fill your heart with joy? It it really does. It's it's he's so God, what a man. What a yeah. man that man is. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he's been the same age for fifty years 50 because years. I think he may be a Highlander. I have a, I have a theory. A I don't want to out that accent. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think he's been around for centuries, just being a badass. Cutting off heads. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was screenplay was written by David Lee Henry and Hilary Hankin, based on a story by Henry, and it was made on an estimated budget of fifteen million and grossed sixty one point six million, so a considerable hit. But the interesting th- thing as well, I think, about Roadhouse is that it's had this sustained life, yeah, way, where it's made like home hundreds of millions. Of, yeah, home video was an absolute killer. Yeah. Cable plays forever, so it, it's had this really really long life beyond the initial the initial box office release tell me a little bit about the dna the 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 fingerprints that die hard has on the movies that come after it we talked a little bit about that with joel silver but what are some other ways this relates to well, die hard there are several die hard alums that are and in directly involved in the making of roadhouse even beyond joel silver has the same composer michael Kamen, has the same editors frank j urosti and john f link has the same stunt coordinator slash second unit director charles mccurney wow same costume designer, Marilyn Vance, billed here as Marilyn Vance Straker, and the same casting director, Jackie Birch. There are some direct connections. Of course, many of those will come from Joel Silver because he'll right. be hiring those people. And there's a feel to it, you know, like the Michael Kamen score. He seems to be a guy that is equally comfortable with strings and a little bit of guitar at times. I, I can't remember. Did he write the Lethal Weapon movie? He did. Yeah, so it's 100%. A lot of these movies are about like sort of mulleted, violent men who have a dark side, and you feel the score in this film at moments feeling like the Lethal Weapon score. 100%. I mean, especially once you get into the third act of this movie, there's a real gear shift where you really sense the Cayman score is pretty unobtrusive until the third act. And then it becomes like, oh, this is like, it's almost like a Lethal Weapon temp score, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't mean that as a diss because I love Michael Cayman, but I think 
what's interesting about I was listening to it actually on the drive over here trying to get my mind in place I was listening to the Die Hard 2 Michael Kamen that's why score. I went and got the mullet that you yeah, see because yeah. I wanted I wanted to really mine, get the um, character getting mine taken care of it's like, gonna look uh, great this afternoon got a team <laughs> getting fitted on. for, a, for yeah, a, my yeah. mullet today <laughs> yeah growing a mullet for this <laughs> podcast <laughs> the only I, way like, to do I like it. to commit our wives are both like you just have to stop <laughs> I don't know what you guys are doing but I think with Michael Kamen, what when I think of his scores, to me it's suspense. I yep. think that's what he yeah. is amazing at creating. He has such a distinctive style that yeah. is un, unmistakable. What did, so, he, what did he follow up this with? Do you know any things that he any of the films he did? Sorry to put Di you on the spot. Well, I know he did Die Hard two and another movie that I want to talk about hopefully in our next episode, which will be License to Kill. Ooh, he did License to Kill, which is a really unusual. That's so turn strange because it had been John Barry since the dawn of time, pretty much. It's kind of an outlier. But although the premise of Roadhouse, you know, it's like, okay, this is, it, it isn't, it's pretty different to the classic Die Hard on a blank right. template that we'll be talking about with many of the direct imitators, but it does have some subtle similarities. We've got the reluctant lone hero. We've He's got one ally who's kind of peripheral to the action. Sam Elliott. The Sam Elliott character, right. Wade Garrett. I have to just, every time I hear it, I just have to go, gentlemen, Wade Garrett. <laughs> I just, I just love doing that. Um, and he has to take on multiple adversaries and a formidable villain, and the odds are stacked against them. And the action is focused around one primary location, the Double Deuce Bar. But it isn't so much about, in terms of its influence, it's more the personnel rather than the, the premise in, right. this, in this instance. It actually isn't a very high-concept movie at all. What I think is notable about this movie and what's interesting about it is that this is the emphasis on is on character over plot. This is a star vehicle for a yeah, you were saying, white hot star. Right. You know, who Huge. is coming off Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing propelled him into the stratosphere. Now, But now what I think is really smart about why he did this movie, this is broadening his appeal to men. Right. You know, he obviously, women were crazy about him at, at this time, even on, to the point that they were mobbing him on the set. You know, it was there's a lot of crazy same, stories same about that. Same when I record that. a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> have, can you keep them? Can, can <laughs> ladies, we keep it down out there? Ladies, <laughs> they've seen the mullets. So yeah, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what I think is cool as well about this movie, one of the reasons I like it, and I kind of vaguely remember when it came out, although I was, I was very young. It feels like a night out. It feels just like a you're going to have a fun time yeah, going totally. to see this movie. But then it you weirdly know? gets dark in the final third of the movie. Absolutely. So this is probably where I should confess that I had never seen Roadhouse until last night. Oh, wow. I coming never in, seen coming it. in cold. I had I came in cold. I had a great time watching this movie. I, I think I was super into it for the first like hour. And then at a certain point... Not no disrespect. It just lost me a little bit. It it kind of never the the final half never quite like got me like yeah the way that I wanted it to. It's interesting because I I I love the the last sort of twenty minutes of this movie yeah. where it, and it is a different film. It, it it it's but it's interesting yeah because I suppose the logical thing is that they they have attacked all these other businesses in the town and, yeah. and the double deuce is so symbolic to this community and mm -hmm. to to the owner and of course to to our lead character Dalton played played by Patrick Swayze and all the all the people that he's made friends with it, I guess that is an interesting version but well you know it's funny you bring up the town and I know we're gonna go into like a bit by bit yeah we're gonna go through the movie but well, the yeah. movie that I thought about instead of Die Hard while watching this, was like some of the stranger comes to town movies that I love. Like Yojimbo, which is the Akira Kurosawa movie with Toshiro from Mifune about a 
like a, a Ronin who kind of works both sides of this town that's run by two criminal families, which was the basis for Few Dollars More with Clint Eastwood, which was the basis for Last Man Standing. The yes, Bruce Willis yeah, film yeah, yeah. Directed by yeah, Walter yeah. Hill from, I think, 1996, which yeah. is about a, a stranger coming to a town and playing both sides of this criminal enterprise in the Gee. town itself. Yeah, so you can certainly trace those sort of genealogical lines yeah. there in an interesting way with that, with later Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis pictures. It's interesting you mentioned the samurai thing. Of course, you know, I, I think it's seen as more a neo-Western. You know, it tends to be regarded right. as a, you know, as a contemporary Western. It's a contemporary, it's a classic Western premise. But in this instance, the gunslinger is a cooler, not a bouncer. Let's be, let's define our terms. Right. What is a cooler? So I guess the cooler is like the head of the bouncers, it's, right? And he, he keeps kind the of, bar cool and calm, and right? That's cool the idea. Himself. He's so cool. But he is cool, isn't he? Everyone else around him is hot-headed, but I, I do think it is a, you know, it is a cool character because he is able to maintain his calm in the face of a lot of provocation, whether it's verbal or physical, that makes this, it's just a great part for Swayze. Because he's great in the movie. He's terrific. He's really yeah, good. It's a, it, you can see why he pursued this project or why he was attached to this before it was, you know, at the more advanced stages he was attached to it before a director was on board. It's just such a good role for him. It plays to all his strengths. Mm -hmm. You've got the romantic side of it. You've got the physical side of it you've got the kind of charm the charisma that just, but also that, the icy kind of stare the thing that the he's, good at. he's good at kind of like a bit of complexity behind the eyes yes he really you know? is yeah and, and this character has a dark past as that we come to discover as well and weirdly like that when when they're like he went to nyu to study philosophy, philosophy yeah i thought that was really interesting there's also a scene when he's reading a book by the poet jim G harrison yeah which yeah, I was yeah. Just like this is really fascinating yeah i think swayze's holds up the movie he really holds his performance throughout is like really really strong yeah, he's and, he's, and he's he centers this film it all orbits around him but i think what's also really smart is he, you know and rowdy harrington and, and joel silver were smart enough to surround swayze with incredibly strong actors like sam elliott and like bangazara and kelly lynch yeah he's a larger than life character but the movie does not take much of a larger than life task. it's funny i was thinking about that again today that with a lot of the joel silver stuff they i was thinking how they have this similar quality of kind of dark stories with a sense of humor and a smart mm -hmm. mouth yeah pretty rough tough aggressive serious films but they still have a f sense of fun and a sense yeah. of sense of humor i'd find that that's would be a bit unpalatable i think in today's climate to have these r-rated adult kind of tough films with a nasty edge but they also have this humor to balance it out roadhouse is slightly different in terms of on this kind of tonal spectrum because it is this almost like a drive-in movie and, mm -hmm. and actually you just use this expression on the commentary rowdy harrington repeatedly uses the phrase larger than life everything's larger yeah. than life so there was and there's an ongoing debate about how whether the whether the people involved were in on the joke because this has become a you know kind of so bad it's good type tongue-in-cheek guilty pleasure type movie less bad you know? and less extravagant than i thought it was gonna like i certainly don't think it's bad but like not at all i love it it's and i but there's the concept isn't any more ridiculous than any other sort of action movie from the, and in fact it's a little more grounded like this is a, a movie about punches and kicks not like bazookas and commando like commando yeah, is sure commando sure. is yeah yeah like that's ridiculous, talk about larger right? than life yeah, yeah larger than life and in a way 
kind of self-aware and how ridiculous yes. it is. Roadhouse is not does not feel self-aware in its ridiculousness. I think there's a blend or or a mixture of intentional and unintentional comedy. Right. You know, some of it <laughs> they, some of it you they have to know that, that this is very broad. But some of it, 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 you know, it's hard to know. I suppose it's when you play it serious and it ends up being funny that that's when you, you know, you know, like okay, maybe, maybe where is the to where is the tonal needle kind of landing here? But so it is a bit of a strange one. But um, it isn't also though, like it isn't even the goon. I have your your goons. The goon guide. Goon guide. Okay, so there's a couple of guys. I want to talk specifically about Morgan, who's played by Terry Funk. Yes. Morgan is the is a bouncer at the Double Deuce, and he's the first person fired. He defects. By the first person fired by Dalton, and even that guy, who should be preposterous, like there's something really like when he's angry, you feel it. He's not treated as like a total goof. Like none of these. Yeah. Yeah. Tinker. Tinker. But yeah, Tinker is kind of ridiculous. Kind of ridiculous. And Tinker was, yeah. is one of my favorites, by the way. I'm a yeah. big fan. But it certainly is a motley crew of when you look at, when we look at this, uh, you know, in our, our goon it's, guide here, it's some so some wacky characters. I guess characters. it's just a little bit of a harder movie than I expected it to be. Mm. Maybe I'm am I totally off on this? It's just not as ridiculous and silly as I expected it to mm. be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's because you're looking at it without the fog of nostalgia. That's you true. Know. I might be. Yeah, for you're sure. You're seeing it pretty clear-eyed. Yeah. Let's talk our way through the story. Let's do our plot breakdown. Let's yeah. go. All right, Phil, take it away. So, okay. So James Dalton is, is this legendary, played by Swayze, is this legendary cooler at the Bandstand Club in New York. Is it? But it's New York, but it doesn't it feel like New York at, yeah, at all. Uh, no, really no New York strange. I've ever Very, seen in my life. Like, yeah. yeah. No, like maybe outer Queens. The state of New York, yeah, exactly. I think, more it so. than like New York <laughs> the, the, at all. No. They, yeah, and they shot that in California. They shot <laughs> right, all, right, the whole right. movie was shot in California. Well, the other the other little piece uh, about that opening scene that I think is, is, is interesting. So basically, Dalton is this cooler at the Bandstand club in New York State. He's approached by Frank Tillman, played by Kevin Teig, who wants him to run security at his roadhouse in Jasper, Missouri. He is propositioned by, by, by Frank Tillman to come and work for him at his club. There's a brief negotiation, and then he decides to relocate. And which... to be clear, he asks for $5,000 up front and $500 a day. For an indeterminate amount of time. And it's pretty clear by the end of the movie that Swayze's staying in, in Jasper. And right? all medical expenses paid for. Yeah, well. everything everything is paid for, right? Yeah. He's making off pretty well. I mean, he is risking his How life, much it I does, guess. I mean, the economics of this film probably don't bear close scrutiny. No, well, his but... rent is $100 a month. Get yeah. out of here. That house is huge. <laughs> That's bigger than my house. So... Should we talk about Dalton, though, as a character? Let's do uh, it. Okay, so how do we feel about him as an action movie hero? I mean, yeah, I think he's a little he's a little preposterous, right? Like, he's good at everything. He, like, you know, he's went to NYU for philosophy and religion, I think, specifically is what they say. And there's a little bit of a thematic religion versus capitalism thing going on in this movie that's, like, with Gazara's character, which we can get into. Mm, but there's a mm. little bit of like a polar opposites of these two guys. I, I think he's an interesting action hero. I think he's a little generic. I think in the hands of a of an actor that couldn't imbue the quiet of the character with the kind of like gravitas that I think Swayze has, I don't think it works at all. You know, I think a lesser actor couldn't pull this it off. It is hard to imagine anybody else 
playing this part. It almost seems like it was just tailored so specifically for right. Swayze's skill set. And he didn't do a ton of action movies after this, right? So it's kind of a strange... Point, obviously, Point Break. Point being, Break, of course. Being, How did I forget about Point being Break? The classic, yeah. But yeah, not 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 much. He trying to tried his hand at it. Way did next of kin came out. I don't even remember yeah, that one. Yeah, which is not one that's often talked about, but certainly Point Break. I no, forgot. I mean, then, I forgot about Point Break. Next, yeah, mo next major movie really after this and was was Ghost. Um, oh my god, had, that movie was a monster. It was yeah. so big. That was like the biggest thing that happened that year. I mean, I Swayze like. had this incredible. Sh you know, it, it was the old um, the the flame that burns. You know, twice right. as bright burns half as long thing because he was so huge, but it was such a short run really right. between, but really between eighty seven and ninety one between when Dirty Dan obviously he'd been around since The Outsiders and Red Dawn and and some of those other those other movies, but it was Dirty Dancing that really put him into the stratosphere, and then it continued up until Point Break, and then then he did this sort of slightly strange movie City of Joy. Uh, city, of, it? city of yeah, Hope. A city I of Hope. I remember that movie. Yeah, city where he plays a doctor. One is the John Sayles movie. One is, he one plays is the a doctor, right? Yeah, 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 which I think was a passion project for him. Unfortunately, it didn't do well. And then and then he did Tu Wong Fu in 95. But then, With that's a was that's an action movie like cast in that movie. We're going to do it's that so in episode fun. 77. I just can't kidding. wait. It's, that's a good movie. <laughs> just, I like that film. But as an action hero, I think not as memorable as a Martin Riggs John McClane. Well, it didn't. Ha it didn't get the sequels. Didn't get so, the sequels. That's know, part of it. Too. In a way, it's kind of strange. Like, yeah. Actually, but maybe it just feels like this story kind of closed its closed its loop. But anyway, so yeah, he's he's an interesting figure in action movie history. Right. But it was just just the one and done for old uh, James. Absolutely. Dalton. So okay, so Dalton goes to visit the Double Deuce to get the lay of the land, and this place is totally out of control. What the fuck is happening in this bar, man? It's wild. Would you want to go to the Double no, Deuce? No, not uh, maybe. Like the, Maybe with the a stab two-thirds of the way through the movie, but yeah, I know. So the live house band there is fronted by his pal Cody, played by Canadian Canadian legend Jeff Healy. Give me a little um, bit on Jeff Healy. I don't know anything so, about Jeff well, Healy. Well, Jeff Healy was a rhythm and blues slash rock and roll guitarist who was blind from a very early age oh. and taught himself the guitar and played it in this unique style. See, I had no idea that this guy um, was, a, was a person. Yeah, like, so or he, a famous person, I, I should say. I think it was one of those things where they, the, I think the writer knew of Jeff Healy and kind of created the character uh -huh. somewhat with him in mind. This, you know, this this blind rock and roll guitarist and and singer. And, and I'm a, I love him. Yeah, I think he's fantastic. He's, he's great, great in the movie. He's great in the movie. It's such an unexpected, unusual presence. Kind of has he's a little charming. brother quality, like yeah. a kind of a guy you love. And actually, it's weird that he's not more like instrumental to the plot in the second half of the movie. Yeah. Like yeah. he's not like threatened. I mean, I guess he is, but you never explicitly. I so. That would have been an obvious choice, isn't it? Yeah. To sort of have him be threatened. And but... I mean, you know, using the blindness, especially in the 80s, as like a, a weakness or something where they could take advantage. Like it just feels like something you would expect from a movie like this. But they this. don't do it. They it's don't quite, do it at all. Yeah, it's quite, it's it's interesting. quite cool in terms of its representation in that, in yeah. that regard. Yeah, no, that's true. So, you know, some of the staff are friendly, like Cody. Some of them, like the aforementioned Morgan, played by Terry Funk, the head bouncer, Morgan, are, right. are more hostile. And so he realizes he's got his work cut out for him. He rents a room from the friendly farmer, Emmett, played by the wonderfully named Sunshine Parker. Oh, that guy is great. Love, like Santa Claus. So many Claus, good faces right? like, in this movie. Yeah, it's well like cast. Like a really well yeah, cast movie. Yeah. Kudos to, and the woman who cast? Cast Die Hard. Jackie Birch. Yep. Yeah, no, I think Nailed it again. it's not. And again, it's not as movie star driven. Driven. I mean, obviously, besides like back then you could back then I sound ridiculous, but like you could make an action movie with 
one big star and everyone else around it could be really, really interesting. And like Swayze would, you know, kind of like anchors the movie and then you have all these interesting faces yeah, around Yeah, the choices Kevin are T- not Kevin... typical, yeah. Uh, I mean, Sunshine Parker and Red West and even Gazara that we're going to come to and we're, we're going to talk about, are, they're not obvious choices for right. that moment in time. It's very creative in its casting. So well, while we're on that subject, why don't we talk about, okay, so the, the house where Dalton rents a room looks onto the lavish estate owned by Brad Wesley. Brad Wesley. The imperious Ben Gazar. Now, I just want to step back okay. and let, 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 me warm let up. Special Agent <sighs> Liam Billingham Can I get a take whiskey? the mic for his diatribe okay. on Ben Gazar. So, I did not know that Ben Gazzara was in this movie until you told me that Ben Gazzara was in this movie. Ben Gazzara is, I think, one of the great American actors of all time. Born in New York in 1930, went to the actor's studio, you know, did a lot of like, I mean, really his career spanned, he died in 2012. He was like 82 years old, died of cancer. But in, he sort of covered the whole range of Hollywood history. Went to the actor studio, lived in New York, was in, you know, a lot of Playhouse 90, did a lot of theater, was on TV a lot, kind of started as a TV guy. His first big role is he was in Otto Preminger's film, Anatomy of a Murder. And that, so Anatomy of a Murder kind of set him up. And then in the 1970s, he starts his association with John Cassavetes. John Cassavetes, this could be a whole other podcast, great American, indie American filmmaker, and they make... Three films together, two of which, well, all three of which I think are amazing. He does Husbands, which is Cassavetes, Ben Gazzara, and Peter Falk going on a a week-long bender that starts on Long Island and ends in London. Have you seen that film? That one I'm not familiar with. It's amazing. I'm going to talk to you about the one I am more familiar with. And he does a film called Opening Night where he plays a theater director, which is one of the great great films about art. But the movie that I feel like is most applicable here is 1974's Killing of a Chinese Bookie, where he plays a club owner named Cosmo Vitelli, who gets in deep with at a casino and is told by the mobsters that run the casino that he has to go kill a guy. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. 
You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life altering. And if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think it's a proto-action movie. It came out approximately in the same, that few weeks before Taxi Driver. Yeah. And I, some, there's an alternate history where I think maybe had Taxi Driver not come out that year, we would be talking about Killing of a Chinese Bookie in that way. It's a, it's a very strange but truly amazing movie with some action movie sort of elements, I would say. Yeah, I, 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 you, so Liam put me onto this. Right. And I should say as well that you also, if you're interested in Cassavetes and Gazara and all of this history, Liam has his own wonderful uh, yeah. cast called Uber Busters, Busters, where the first season was all John Cassavetes and inspired by the film Husbands, which is wonderful. So that's kind of, that introduced me to Killing of Chinese Bookie, which I watched in, in to contextualize it for this. And I was absolutely blown away it's both an amazing by the movie. movie and by Ben Gazzara's performance. And yeah, it, it has that, that a kind of descent into hell movie, I call it, like, right. that I love, like like Taxi Driver or Falling Down, where it's really one Ooh, Falling guy's, Down is a wild you know, movie. After Hours, those kind of movies where yeah. it's just someone kind of goes down the rabbit hole and, uh, you know, uh, and loses their loses their mind. And it I, is, we should say, on HBO Max in both the original yeah. and director's cut version. Yeah. You watched both. I, I did, yeah. Wow. Although they kind of got sli- somewhat conflated in my own mind because they were They're pretty similar. similar. Yeah, there's, there's a few things. significantly shorter. Yeah, but I think the long version is the way to go. It's in terms of the character. It's a character the one film I watched like first. Roadhouse. And I could have watched it for four hours. I, yeah. I, it was just, he had such extraordinary charisma and gravitas and was just this character that was just the word that I think of when I think of both Ben Gazzara and the characters that he has played is formidable yes and that's what makes him this it's almost hard to overstate what a big deal it is to cast him in a movie like this that is somewhat of a it's an action movie it's a studio movie but it's fairly light yeah you know uh, it's an r and everything but it's an r-rated movie but it's a it's not like a serious film no and he is a it's almost like he's a thespian it's almost like getting daniel day lewis to play the villain you know you it's, know? it's interesting yes i agree what i love about him as an actor is he has an inherent softness when you look at him like there's something about the way he smiles and the way he like he feels like he could be your grandfather but then he has this thing he can turn on that is so menacing and so creepy and he he's like a teddy bear to me in some ways and that's what makes him so appealing as Cosmo Vitelli is that you and in Killing of a Chinese Book is that you're in love with him as a character and he's pathetic yeah, kind of not. It doesn't and, make sense it makes in a no way. Sense, but he's so lovable and scary yeah. at the same time. It, it, 
it, he is so dimensional and complex as an actor that the other thing that's strange about this, we talked a, bit, a little bit about this with like Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman in terms of the, the physicality and, or the lack thereof for, for the villain. You know, you, you don't you don't think that maybe, you know, Swayze versus Gazzara in a, in a hand-to-hand fight is not going to be necessarily much of a fight on paper. Yet Gazzara has such intensity yeah. and he is so frightening. And certainly if you've seen Killing of a Chinese Bookie, where he is just so physically tough. Yeah, it's it's just it's really interesting that they put Swayze in the prime of his youth, martial artist, very physical, against this older guy, and yet the, it does hang together. I think because Gazzara is just so strong as an he's actor. so strong as an actor. When he yeah, there's a scene where he punches one of his henchmen, and yeah. it's kind of I mean he's sixty years old yeah. in this movie. It's kind of a little lacks a little credit like it doesn't really look like that's like he's a 60 year old man punching yeah. someone it but there's something about his energy and his power that that really really works in the film also this movie does have the thing that a lot of films in the 80s do which is the the henchman the like guy who's who I forget his name Jimmy it, Reno Jimmy Reno played by Marshall Teague played by Marshall Teague yeah Jimmy terrific Reno terrific henchman who's kind of who has a mullet who's kind of like the the Carl to Gazara's Hans Gruber. Or the Buse, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Mr. The Joshua yeah, to yeah, yeah. I forget the main villain. Yeah. But yeah, but there is that bit of like that's the guy who is who's gonna provide the physical right. challenge, and Gazara provides the kind of emotional or uh he has all this power over the town. And which is why I when you say die hard on a town, I'm uh, die hard on a on, on in a bar, to me it actually feels more like die hard in a town. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's probably a better way to push like, it. Yeah. The, he's fighting these these guys who like Gazara plays the sort of self-made man who kind of like is the ma- unofficial mayor of the town. And a town a town, by the way, that doesn't seem to have a police force. Yeah. <laughs> Swayze literally yeah. rips a guy's throat out yeah, and is never investigated or arrested for quite murder. Happily accept a very flimsy explanation at, uh, at the end. But they do they do allude to it in one scene where they say basically that Gazara's character, Brad Wesley, has kind of paid off the police. He has right. them in his pocket. But he I think he is one of the reasons, a low-key reason why this film endures because he is he is a fantastic villain. He's jealous, controlling, vain. He rocks a pink robe like you would oh, not believe. Yeah. Drinks a, yeah, I, I love when Swayze shows up at the house and he's like, Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I love villains like that. Those, yeah. that's something that I think is great about it's, these it's movies. It's also They're charming and charismatic. Um, the Cosmo Vitelli thing as well because uh, he mentions, there's one scene where we were, in that scene where Swayze goes to the house, there is a hint at Brad Wesley's backstory because he says like I, I I relate to you like I came up hard on the streets of Chicago and he's he's a Korean War veteran he says yeah. when I came back from Korea it's my favorite scene which in I, the movie isn't Cosmo I think that's Cosmo Cosmo he was is, a you're war right. vet he right? is a Korean well there's a scene in it's almost like an extension of the same character no that's a real I, I did not make that connection no absolutely he's a war vet because there's a scene in Killing of a Chinese Bookie where there these these guys who are terrible played by among others amazing actors uh, Seymour Cassell yes. talk to him about how he killed killed during the Korean War yeah for sure he's and he's that age it totally it, makes it feels sense. like either Silver or Rowdy Harrington was, was a big fan of Killing of a Chinese Bookie because it feels wow. like they built this character it feels very close to that character. Almost I like never a, would have made an that inversion connection. of it or an extension of it. Fantastic. So okay, so Dalton lays down the law to the staff once he gets to. He fires the a couple. He fires Morgan, the aggressive bouncer. Right. He fires a drug dealing waitress. And he explains his philosophy and be his nice. Rules. I love that. Be nice. Just be, be nice. nice until it's time to, to be... not be nice. <laughs> 
I mean, that is kind of like a pretty good credo credo for life. It also establishes him as like a not a hothead action hero, which I think is good. Like he, like, unlike like Riggs, a, as you were saying, right? You know, or, or even McLean. I mean, McLean is not a hothead, but he is impulsive, and you know, well, he ha- he, the circumstance dictated. But yes, yes, you're right. He's yeah. he's fighting for his survival, and and he kind of does things on impulse. And yeah. like you pointed out, kind of as a terrorist when he like puts the body in that in the elevator. Yeah, psychological because... psychological warfare. Well, Dalton Dalton is much more yeah, cool cool-headed, calm, the zen bouncer, right? But we do learn later um, in the film that it is probably there to suppress a real killer instinct yeah, that yeah, he has. Yeah, which makes makes him kind of interesting. The one thing I was going to say about this scene though where Dalton goes into the bar and kind of lays down his philosophy to the staff and the staff are all sitting there. It's kind of like those shows like Bar Rescue or the Gordon Ramsay like Hell on Wheels show or, or oh, The Prophet yeah. where those reality shows where, where like a troubleshooter goes in to fix yeah, a failing for business. Sure. For sure. You know? <laughs> this is like the, the precursor to like yeah. Yeah, Kitchen Confidential. What a reality show that would be. Oh like my Dalton God. Like goes don't into say, different bars. Listen, Phil, don't say that out loud because someone in Hollywood is now going to make Roadhouse the reality show or something I'm, like I'm that. Just give me an EP credit. Should, yeah, that's Just fine. send me the check. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, You're do, absolutely do, right. You do you. But it is interesting because it's like you. They, he goes in, diagnoses the problem. You identify which staff members are on board, which are not, which are a detriment, which are a benefit, and you build a new culture essentially. So it was kind of interesting from that. One of the more interesting things about the movie, yeah. for sure. They're weird. Like there is this like interesting core to this movie, which is like, what exactly is his job? Again, I thought he was just a bouncer. I didn't know he was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, build this bar back up, and which is what happens over the course of the movie. He sort of turns the bar into like. First of all, I don't know where all those people are coming from that show up. It's like there's 500 people at the door to go into the bar. Like three people live in this town. Yeah, where yeah. are all these people coming from? Again, 80s action movie. But yeah, he has like an interesting job, and and he. He's sort of fighting like a culture war against this ruthless kind of mob bossy guy running the town who's a, who's like sort of skimming off the top of all the businesses and and patting himself while everyone like has to pay him pay him out. And the, and the other part of it that connects to Brad Wesley and why it makes their dynamic interesting is the the character of Dr. Elizabeth Clay played by Kelly Lynch who Dalton meets when he gets into one of many his many skirmishes right. and has to go. He can't and get do his taken. own stitches this time. Right. That one line that the line pain don't hurt. I, I really do have some syntax problems and some just like <laughs> I can't I I'm all on board for be nice until it's time not to be nice, but pain don't hurt. I just can't wrap my head around. It's a weird that line. One. It's a weird line. Yeah, again, it's like this thing, Swayze really pulls it off, but this character has some like strange quirks. Not even strange quirks, but like it doesn't, it doesn't all co- necessarily like. I just feel like you could have, there could have been a line there that was more like pain. I mean, this the bad version is the pain is a state of mind or some sort of something that had a philosophical. Some more well, because he's a philosopher, yeah, right? Like, give us a bit of your philosophy there, but pain don't hurt. Well, it does. I mean, yeah, like it's <laughs> it, pain. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, what are you your suggesting? pain receptors? That yeah. is what they do. So, you know, not to be too literal, but that that was one that I was a little bit like mm, could have done with another pass on that. Line. Yeah, I agree. So he meets Elizabeth Clay because he's been injured, but she ends up having a backstory with Brad Wesley, which kind of complicates things. They were together. Well, uh, or that he was, was in love with he, her, right? Yeah, he had, he was had a fixation on her and right. he went crazy when she left town. There's so. a scene, very weird scene in the film where Gazzara watches. There's a lot of watching. Watching, watches <laughs> Swayze and uh, Kelly Lynch have sex on the roof of his house, yeah. of the house, because 
the room that Swayze rents is, I don't know if we said this, is right across from, from Wesley, Brad Wesley's like glacial estate or whatever, you know, it's right across so they, the street. So they're peeping, e- yeah, peeping they're just each other out all the time. It's weird. It's just like, yeah. oh, like also, why are they peeping It's weird movie. that they have sex on the roof. <laughs> it's weird that he's like, oh, the guy's right over there, but that's fine. Don't worry about it. It's weird. So that adds a little bit of spice to their kind of, yeah. their kind of feud. Dalton also discovers that Wesley's, as he starts to unearth Wesley's protection scheme and he meets people in the town like Red West, the, the owner of the auto parts store. Red West, some of the good other, name. Some of, the other, some of the other folks in the town. He realizes that Wes, Brad Wesley really has this town in a stranglehold and he calls his old friend and mentor, Wade Garrett. Wade Garrett. <laughs> Played, Played by... by Sam Elliott, the immortal Highlander. Pop um, quiz for you. Yes, What sir. other film... Were Ben Gazzara and Sam Elliott in together? Oh, would that be The Big Lebowski? Oh, good for you! You nailed yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, great movie. Took me a moment. Great yeah. moment. Hey, dude! What a what, what a legend! I absolutely I love Sam Elliott. Yeah, he's, I think he's, he's just great. wonderful. He's great. He's such a great and he's a great presence in this film. He gives it real warmth. Again, gravitas. So he, even though when Dalton calls him, he doesn't say like, "Hey, I need help." It's kind of a read between the lines thing. He che- he, it's a check in, but yeah, it implies something but else. Wade might be knows Dalton. Wade is kind of Dalton's mentor. He knows him well enough to know. Okay, he he wouldn't be calling me unless there was something going down. One of here. the things that's preposterous about this movie, but never played for laughs, is like when Dalton shows up at the bar for the first time. First of all, the fact that a, a cooler has a rep. I guess if you like That's know Dalton, the bar man. scene, yeah, everyone, everyone, like, why is this guy a <laughs> celebrity? Guy Dalton, yeah, like, like, why is you're great at this? Why, why would anyone know who this guy is? And by extension, when it, Wade though. Garrett shows up, people are like, "That's Wade Garrett." It's Holy like, what? Shit. Is there like Cooler Monthly magazine? Yeah, like, yeah. what How are these are they, people? This is pre-internet. It makes How is no it? sense. Yeah, I I would love to know, but you know, it kind of reminds me of like high school, or like big fish in a small pond yeah. kind of thing, where cer- certain people have these huge reputations, but it's sort of really disproportionate. It to, makes no sense. But yeah, this is like across the country, across yeah. the continental United States. It's, it's, it's Dalton. What? Yeah. Like it just it makes <laughs> but, no sense. You know, sense. yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It is you know? fun. It so is fun. Wade comes in with with a similarly big reputation, and he helps Dalton out because Wesley is is interfering with the liquor delivery. So even though they're starting to clean up the bar now, they can't get Wesley, booze. which is very much a western you oh, know, for kind sure. of the kind of trope. Big um, thing in Yojimbo, there's no food in the town. They're starving people right, out in that food. Right, right. Yeah. So the isolation of it and all all the rest of it. Yeah. So now okay, so eventually Wade Dalton and Doc, Dr. Elizabeth Clay go on a night out together. Would you want to be on that night out with those I mean, like, sort of, I would prefer to be, like, at another table, sort of watching uh, the whole thing play out. It's it's a weird, they go, so they start at the Double Deuce, right? And then they end up somewhere else. They go to, like, a... Like a diner, diner but like, that serves like, booze. But it's like by now the sun has come up, and they he's like takes he has a slow dance with her. It doesn't look like the most awesome bar crawl. Ever. Also, I got to be honest. This is a doctor who does stitches on people, and she's like, "I got it. My shift starts in a few yeah, hours." Like, I do not you, want her. Yeah, yeah. I do not. I'm not comfortable. Like she's like, "Listen, I got to do a, a surgery in a couple hours, so <laughs> I should go get some sleep." Like what? Like go to you have to go to bed at eight o'clock. I, I'm all for you having a nice time, yeah. but like doctor. I didn't sleep well last night, and I am like woof through yeah, today. Yeah, I'm not doing surgery. I don't want to judge Dr. Elizabeth Clay, but 
It's not the most most responsible behavior for no, um, no, it's irresponsible. And she's also dating a guy who's going to die of a stab wound soon, probably. So they have a kind of rowdy night out. We get to see more than probably we wanted of Sam Sam Elliott's anatomy in that in during the oh, course yeah, of that. Oh yeah, yeah. What a, the course a of that handsome night. fella though. But yeah. Woof. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, they they go on they go on a bit of a rager, but we learn through this conversation that Dalton has a dark past in Memphis and what he's actually done is which is pretty dark. Had an affair with a married woman, didn't know she was married, and ended up, the husband confronted him with a gun, and Dalton killed him right. by ripping his throat out. And uh, this is this is something he's never been able to, to get over. It's also something that Wesley uses against Dalton. He's because, like, you can't, you gotta get over it. Oh, Brad Wesley uses Brad it Brad Wesley uses it against him There's later. this scene where Elliot's like, you gotta get over it. you gotta move yeah. on with your life. And it's like, I don't know, Cut I don't know if I could, loose. I don't know if I could get on with my life after, well, like, it, I ripped a is, dude's throat out. It is funny out. how Sam Elliott gives this very kind of reasonable and impassioned, like, account, but it's like, I'm not sure you should get over it. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> like, that... I'm not sure, like, hey, look, Liam, I know you, like, you had an affair with a married woman and then ripped his throat wrote out yeah. committed murder get over move yeah, on move on life goes on man <laughs> like, but again like no one of the things Shit happens one of the things that's preposterous about this movie that's played so straight yeah and yeah. like it's interesting I, again it it feels a little like you know again the joel silver produces lethal weapon also a movie about a mulleted man with a checkered past but like in lethal weapon he's like crazed it's crazy and in some ways this just feels like a less a, a sort of more, what's the word, late 80s version of Lethal Weapon, you know, because it doesn't have the, like, the Vietnam veteran thing that Lethal Weapon has that I think really runs through those movies. Like, it doesn't have the same degree of darkness. And so there's times in the movie where I guess I feel like the tone is a bit off. Like, it should be a little sillier than it is. The tone, yeah, the definitely... He the, rips the guy's throat out. It, like it, it's, it's inherently... a. There's an absurdity yeah, to it. Whereas, yeah, Lethal straight. Weapon, has, it, Die Hard, the tone is nailed nailed on, consistent. Yeah. The tone here is kind of kind of bizarre. And and you because you have characters that are that good, like Sam Elliott and Ben Gazzara, but the, like the, the motivations and some of the dialogue is, is, is sort of, yeah, like just strange and not really believable. This does feel like it takes place. It doesn't really take place in again in in kind of the real world. It takes yes, place good, almost well in the said. language of movies, the language of westerns. It's almost just like outside of time and space in a weird way. Yeah. There's also no guns or until till right at the end. There's no guns, car chases, or any of the typical or helicopters. And actually, the typical imagery that we've come to expect from the Joel Silver action movies right. at the time. Let's get there because um, I know that that's part of the the plot summary, but I, I have a lot of thoughts on the on the guns at the end of the movie. All right. Well, basically, so we're, as as sort of we move into the second half of of act 2, it Brad Wesley now really declaring war on the town. He takes out Red's store in an arson attack, right. the the auto parts store. Red makes, a great uh, instantly sympathetic character in an action yeah. movie, by the way. Yeah, he's yeah. great. And he also has an interesting backstory that that guy because he was Elvis's best friend oh. and his bodyguard in real life um which is an interesting wow. just that is really interesting kind of strange history so 
Wesley's now kind of stepping up his his vendetta against Dalton and and the town. He there's a great scene where he makes this territorial display in the bar, sends Jimmy Re sends Jimmy into his his number one henchman Jimmy Reno into challenge Wade. It's all starting to kind of heat up. The local businessmen get together to be like, what are we going to do? And that's to your point about like, do we call the police and they even talk about calling the FBI? But then they'd have to take the stand against Wesley, right? You know, so and he we, controls the town. He controls the town in right. in every way his tentacles are everywhere he then there's a, then there's the iconic bigfoot destruction scene where it that fuck <laughs> Forgot How about the you monster truck. can't be too truck. mad at a movie but with again, a monster truck. Like there's just a monster truck in this movie and no one goes like that's weird. What's also cool is they're just like driving it around chilling before they get to the scene. I know. Like it's just like yeah, we have a monster truck like What's the big deal? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't you have a monster <laughs> truck? Lady, it's Jasper. Yeah. What happens in Jasper stays in Indeed. Jasper. <laughs> if only it did. So the Bigfoot destroys the car dealership, but still Dalton doesn't want to back down. And then I have to say, I do think this was a really well-directed scene because by now it's starting, it's a pissing contest between these right. two guys that's probably going to be very destructive for everyone. And Doc, the Kelly Lynch character, goes to Dalton's room and says like look she's i think she's she's learned about his past at this point yeah she's sort of got second thoughts about him maybe he's a darker he's a killer character than yeah, yeah. he's literally a the killer. tone of the movie really shifts here and this is where it shifts and i do think this is a great piece of direction because when while she is screaming at him like who is going to save the town you you think you're going to save the town from wesley who's going to save, save us from you yeah in the background the 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 farmhouse explodes right. out the window and it's really really well directed because you kind of don't expect it it's it's a really effective uh, moment and this is where there is a gear shift and this is when it becomes a straight up Joel Silver action movie the Michael Kamen right. score kicks in uh, Dalton pursues Jimmy Reno loving the maniacal laugh on the on the motorcycle as he as he puts away it's one of my favorite pieces of maniacal yeah. laughter <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Like, just wow. in case anybody didn't know that he was like... It's like tie a lady to a train tracks <laughs> yeah. now kind of thing. Full on, if he had a mustache, it would, yeah. it would he'd be, be twirling. a team of he'd people twirling it. Exactly. A team. He'd have a you team know. of twirlers. <laughs> he Dalton intercepts him on the motorcycle, and then it's a straight up lethal weapon Intercepts fight. him by running. Yes. Like, runs fast enough to tackle a guy off a motorcycle, which feels very rigs and lethal weapon. Yes. Well, yeah. this is where it is straight up lethal weapon yeah. territory for, for about 10 minutes. Yeah. They're fighting by the lake, hand-to-hand -hand combat. There's the It's burning... a pretty quick scene, but it but it goes. Yeah, it's it, like a it, real fight. It the feels, Cayman yeah. music feel is now, like, has moved from being unobtrusive to being, like... It's the climax of lethal weapon. 100%. That's a pretty great fight, and it ends with Dalton ripping out Jimmy Reno's throat. He doesn't cut his throat. He just rips it out. He just rips like, it out. With he rips his, out his trachea. With his fingers. Yes. He claws into the guy's throat. And there is, apparently, this is theoretically possible. There, there, How much like, research did you do? Like a couple weeks. I well, I don't want to say too much because <laughs> I get like, in trouble with the law. Come to my house. But I've tested. <laughs> God. <laughs> no. no um, they were dead already. I, there are a couple of, there are, apparently there are some stories that they believe this is theoretically oh, possible. Oh, so upsetting. Pretty, pretty, pretty horrific. And then it moves into the, really the kind of end game where Dalton then realizes he's got to take Gazara out. He's got to take Brad Wesley out. And I have to say, I think this is the scene where Dalton drives. Well, for, oh, I should say, of course, he finds out that Sam Elliott's character has been, been, murdered. been murdered. Yeah. He's um, dead on the bar. 
yes, actually, before he before he goes to the house. Now, and this is actually where the ticking clock kicks in, and it's a pretty cool one mm. because this is one of the ticking clock being one of the elements of our anatomy of an action movie. What happens is Brad Wesley calls Dalton and gives him an impossible choice. He says, "I'm going to kill either Wade Garrett or Gentlemen? Dr. Clay." Wade, Wade, Wade Garrett. <laughs> he's either going to kill his best friend or his girl. Yeah. So he's he's given this impossible dilemma. Shades of the Dark Knight. Yes. Yeah. Sophie's choice. Right. right? Like right. yeah. It's just just you know he puts him in. It's, it's a lot impossible. more of a classy reference than mine, Phil. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, well, just you know, classic, uh, cla- classic kind of classic trope. I'm cutting this out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, what does he do? And he's, who? What, what, he, he's now put on the horns of this impossible dilemma. He comes back to the double juice. He goes looking for Doc. He comes back to the double juice to find Wade dead with a knife stuck in his chest and and the and the helpful note. It was tails because he tosses a coin to decide. He doesn't Ugh. doesn't say who he's going. Brad right. Wesley doesn't say who he's going to kill. Pretty dark. He tells Dalton, "I'll just toss a coin, and you'll find out soon enough." So he was never going to kill her, though. Well, he was in love with her, wasn't he? But, yeah. You, know, you never know because he's so crazy. Though. He is crazy. But what we now have is a rageful Dalton deciding, "Okay, this is it. This is the last straw. I have to take." Brad Wesley out. He's, he yeah, he needs revenge. His place. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 now it's full on revenge, and we get to this pretty terrific stunt with the Mercedes. Mm-hmm. What? How do you? What do you think of that? So this is actually the moment that I wanted to talk about. It's a cool stunt, but all of a sudden the henchmen who like to this point in the movie are just kind of bruisers, all having guns and starting to shoot. Like it feels a little bit like a different movie. Yes, like, it does. One yeah. thing about action movies that I think is critical is like you establish early what kind of action movie you're going to have, right? And, like, I think this is particularly true then. Like, Lethal Weapon opens with the, like, the first action sequence is kind of the tree sequence when he's, when he, or when, when not the tree sequence, but he's buying cocaine right, from the, the Christmas guys. Christmas trees, yeah. Christmas trees. And, like, there's a lot of gunplay, but not a lot of gun go, guns go right. off, and it's a little physical. Die Hard also, similarly, is a gun movie. There's mm-hmm. some physical hand-to-hand combat, and I feel like Roadhouse shifts from a, kick and punch a brawling movie, movie to, to, a, yeah. a, to a gun movie. And I, I, I felt like it pulled me out of, again, we're watching these movies through the lens of action cinema. So I'm thinking about this stuff and it just felt like a different movie to I, me. I agree bit. that it feels like a different movie, but it's a movie I love. Fair. And that, that's, that's totally fair. That's how I feel about it. Like, it, well, I, and it might need to escalate to this yeah, point in yeah. the story. This is where I, and I, I, I have to say, I do think that the last 15 minutes are really, really well done. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, it is a different movie, but it, I think it's actually a better movie to, mm-hmm. to some extent. It's really well choreographed. That Mercedes stunt, I think, is is pretty, is is a real banger. I mean, yeah. so the Mercedes, he drives him his Mercedes, which of course he's kept out of sight the whole time because he doesn't want anyone messing up his nice car and he's making a lot of enemies. But now he's, he's so crazy, he doesn't care. That he, he drives the Mercedes pretty much into Brad Wesley's house, but of course it explodes spectacularly because it's been shotgunned. It's a brilliant stunt. Oh, it's been stunt. shotgunned, it's been handgunned, it's yeah. been machine gunned. It's a yeah. terrific stunt. And now we have the, the end game with Dalton trying to take out Brad's goons inside Brad's house. But you don't see him in the car ever, right? Just no. at the beginning of the sequence. And then he's kind of in the house and he's already knocked a few of them down, correct? Yeah, because it was actually cut for time. Yeah. So that, that's why it feels slightly abrupt. Um, because I wanted it was actually to, a longer sequence. I wanted to ask you, because my version of the movie that I streamed had like dips to black and fades back up in it. And I was wondering mm. if the version that I saw 
on AMC Plus or wherever was pulled from TV or something Very like possibly. that. Very There are fade black fade outs and fade ups that feel like commercial breaks in the movie. That does not feel like the version that I watched. So I'm really Ray, so yeah. So I was really curious, and then I checked the runtime, and it's an hour fifty four. So I was like, okay, I'm not probably missing anything the, here. I think but... there are definitely a bunch of different versions, and there, but there were also things that were cut for time. Hence why Keith Keith David is it has one line in the movie and had an entire, but he you know and is credited quite high in the opening credits but did he have a whole backstory yeah and it was completely cut oh out. bummer yeah keith david's so good yeah he's great so yeah it's, it's basically now the final showdown and uh, dalton takes out the goons most of the goons and it ends up being mano a mano with with brad wesley, brad wesley. which is uh, interesting how they had to address this challenging issue of well how do we have our hero beating up a 60-year-old How man. How old is Swayze? Like 35? I get something like that, I would guess, right? Yeah. At this point, you Yeah, know? so it's not even a contest. It's so, like if we fought, I'd kick your ass. But the way that they do it, it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so the the way... You... <laughs> Just kidding, I would lose. Just to be clear. <laughs> the, the way... I'm a coward. <laughs> the, way, uh, the way they do it is quite skillful because Gazar, but Brad Wester gets, gets off a shot. So Dalton is injured. Right. But then, then he's throwing around spears... Um, oh, the spear. That's so weird. Which is really weird. But also what an eccentric weirdo like that would do. And it kind of makes sense because he has... It, he's. I just wish they'd maybe seeded this trophy room and this idea that Brad Wesley collects trophies because it's a cool arena for the final battle. I agree. It would be weird if but... Brad Wesley ended up being the predator. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be a great What a twist. twist. Yeah, it would be cool. He Suddenly, Brad, Brad Wesley just like... Ha- has an invisibility cloak. Or <laughs> <laughs> he like pulls out a musket and throws it to Patrick Swayze and it's like, take yes. it and walks away. Oh, I'm loving, I'm loving this. The Roadhouse, Roadhouse is actually a cinematic universe. A badass. Or the Predator extended what, why cinematic Why didn't Silver, universe. you know, connect the dots Huge there. mistake. There should have been a Predator in every single uh, Joel Silver movie produced yeah, after totally. 1984. That would, that would, I'd kind of buy Ben Gazzara as the Predator. That's <laughs> the same kind of gravitas. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So what, the other moment that's amazing about this sequence, which I just have to reference, is my favorite goon, Tinker. Um, you love the, Tinker. The, Will, the, John um, William Young. The, Was he in any other films? No. He, uh, had, he hadn't really have much of One and done. One I mean, and, you do this part, why would you yeah, buy like, retire? And end at the top. Like, yeah, just the funny thing is he probably like away. worked at the bar that they <laughs> like near the set or something like that. But he has this ridiculous... This is what we're talking about with the terms of the tone. Because now we're into a sort of lethal weapon style gritty, violent, visceral action sequence. And in the middle of it, Tinker is confronted by a stuffed polar bear that he's inexplicably terrified of and goes... <laughs> as this polar bear falls I on I totally him. forgot about that part. And it's like, it's it's ludicrous. It's so cartoonish. Ludicrous. So it does speak to this, even within sequences, the tone is... All over the place all over, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> a little bit. It's, it's batshit. Imagine if Gazara had actually been the predator, we'd be having a very different conversation. <laughs> so, and then... And he, he well, well, he doesn't kill He doesn't kill that's him. That's what's really interesting. And I have to... I, I do think, this, think is good. this is a great I think it's moment. a great Well, choice. tell me your thoughts on the on this, on this the finale. Well, one, set it up, and okay. then I'll tell you this. Because so you're better Dalton at this. Dalton has a chance to kill Brad Wesley. 
by and he is on the verge of ripping his throat out. He's he's in a full on red rage. But as you do, him, as you do when your buddy Sam Elliott has been killed, right? Um, I hate and, it when that uh, happens. Yeah, which you know, no one no one likes. He's going to rip out his trachea of this old man. Um, but some, he, he finds his humanity in this moment. Also, Doc is inexplicably there. And it's like, oh, I, I wouldn't really like this. I don't really want to see this because I thought you were nice. So Dalton decides... First time she meets the guy, he has like three stab wounds. She's like, oh, you're, but you're such a... You, yeah. went, you did philosophy at NYU? Right. He's no yeah, career he, prospects and getting uh, slashed. The mullet heals all sins. That's, That's all true. I, all, all That's weird. You have that tattooed on your arm, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> on my forearm, yeah. <laughs> Just to keep me focused. Yeah. When so, you saw Memento, you went in a very yeah, different yeah, direction. Yeah. <laughs> so Dalton decides not to rip out a Brad Wesley's trachea. And then Wesley actually decides, okay, well, I'll, you're weak. I'll take advantage of it. Goes for his gun. And then the townsfolk shotgun him to death, who have decided to, they've discovered their courage. Right. Uh, and there is, it is a great line because earlier on, Brad Wesley had said when he'd ran over the, the guy's car, car store with the, with the Bigfoot monster truck, he says, this is my town and don't you forget it. And before Kevin Tige, Frank Tillman, the bar owner, the owner of the Double Deuce, shot fires at Wesley, he says, this is our town. Don't Mm -hmm. you forget it. Blast. Blasts him into the coffee table. It's a great... It's a much more interesting choice. Again, like... Very Western, though, right? Very Very Western. Is that type of thing in the samurai movie, or is it more about that lone... Is any of those I mean, elements well, so that's a good town question. rising up? Town rising up, yeah, is definitely part of it. I mean, I think that like really what it is is like what I like about these movies is that they're fighting for the soul of a civilization, yes. right? And you know, one thing that I, I wish by Road- shotgunning people. Yeah, by shotgunning people. I wish Roadhouse had a scene that established and it kind of does this with the with the once you get into the monster truck sequence and the car thing. I wish there was a sequence where like the hardware store owner had like told explicitly like over there, that's the car dealership. It's owned by this person over here. That's Brad Witt. Like I would have liked to establish the town square of the story because I think they could have done candidly. And I think the ending really works a better job of setting up the opposition. It's really only personified by the hardware store owner until the end of the film, a little bit with Frank Tillman, the guy who owns the double, the double deuce. There is, in all these movies, kind of like by the end, the townspeople are on the side of the drifter or whatever the case is. But this really explicitly goes there for it. You know, the samurai films, particularly Ojimbo, they're about Toshiro Mifune's sort of like nameless uh, warrior kind of traveling from place to place and getting involved with intrigues. And by the way, Roadhouse could totally have 10 sequels. He could go to to town to town and there could always be some conflict. I think they kind of missed missed a trick with it. But what's also interesting in the ending, after, after they've killed, after the townsfolk rise up and kill Brad Wesley and expunge the the evil from their midst. It ends with a scene with Dalton and Doc naked in the lake. So Dalton has presumably decided to stay in the town. Unlike a samurai movie or a western yeah, where he, usually he they move on. Yeah, he becomes a guy, yeah. It's almost like the Garden of Eden reborn baptis- right. baptismal and he stays in the town and uh, so it's kind of And he in- crucially unusual. crucially is no longer the killer. So the whole right. movie, if you, I he's actually cleansed of his sins, right? He's cleansed, right? and I don't think the movie necessarily does an amazing job of establishing this. But I, w- you know, at a at a certain point in the movie, when when we feel like the tone shifts, it becomes like, is this guy any different from you know the killers? And I, mm. it takes the movie a little too long to establish that for that to ultimately, I think, pay off emotionally. 
But yeah, at the end of the movie, he's made a choice to not be a killer. Right. And so he's, as you said, is sort of baptized and, and the town is reborn, like lacking corruption and like kind of like rampant capitalist mode right. of Gazara's character. Right. But yeah, it, the ending feels a little abrupt to me, too. Hmm. You know, they're like, well, it, and then they're because, dancing at the double deuce. Right. right? And you, because because you don't want to think about it too much. You don't want to think about the consequences right. of you know, the law enforcement repercussions of, of how the police seem to quite willingly and easily accept a pretty far-fetched account that nobody saw anything as like, seven people the are standing around a dead body. The need, like, a, sher- a hapless sheriff or something like that. Like, a character that can sort of establish that the law is... Or even, like, the, the sheriff being, like, knowing kind of what's going on but being powerless to do anything about it yeah and the sheriff kind of has like a knowing look or something like that or or just ambiguous in some way right. where we're you know but i mean we're, we're splitting hairs it's a great i love this movie oh it's a great movie and it's a great it's a yeah. great last 15 these, minutes these nitpicks are like a little bit more like getting into the the you know the well, we're, t- we're talking about action movies, but I think, I do think it's ultimately a pretty successful movie and like a total blast to watch from end to end. And like, I mean, just the quality of actors in this movie is just off the chain. It's out of control. And uh, uh, something I'm a, I think about a lot with the, a lot of these action movies, particularly of the 80s, the, the cardinal sin is to be boring. It can 100%. be totally inconsistent, tasteless. All, all kinds of other things, but it, as long as it's entertaining, look at Cobra, right? Right. Like uh, from ni- 1986 is Stallone yeah. classic Cobra. Yeah. The film makes absolutely no sense, but it is wildly entertaining. Big hit. Yeah, the struggle that I have with a lot of newer movies, without you know being specific, uh, but like big budget action movies, a lot of the time I, I don't feel invested in the characters yeah. or like really all that you know deeply entrenched or like i'm second screening it like i'm looking sure. at my phone as a put like roadhouse i was watching it's I was it, it, watching. if nothing else it is entertaining and yeah. that's the you know that's the point so should we move on to the awards let's give it some awards let's yeah the awards let's talk about our action movie awards the diehard oscars indeed indeed just get your tuxedo on let me just sort your tie out yeah that looks good i zip up my fly i don't know why it's down it's embarrassing (laughs) so you're dressed like cosmo vitelli (laughs) oh my (laughs) god three women here sorry (laughs) other thing that is a great la movie that is a great la movie yeah yeah i love la in the 70s different movie but the scene where at the beginning when he goes to the bar and like has a few drinks in the middle of the day and he says i forget what he says like i'm the luckiest man alive whatever he says to the wait the bar the the woman in the bar i just i'm like oh this is such a scuzzy la i'm obsessed with Cosmo Vitelli's like the 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 Paris number right. and the whole like his cabaret acts like bad LA it's theater that he thinks such, is like well it's like it's, yeah he thinks it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's so beautiful we're talking about killing of a Chinese bookie on, in case you've sorry, lost yeah. our, our thread on here, the way when he's on the way to the killing he stops and calls and he's like how are the numbers going it. it's one of the best scenes Genius. in the whole movie it's so yeah. great because all he cares about is his club absolutely there's something wonderful. sort of like pathetic and beautiful Falstaffian about this guy. It's I don't even amazing. know. Anyway, th- that's for a separate, that's... Ca- if you want more on watch, that, please check out Liam's of, podcast. Yeah, or watch Killing, We should just do a Killing of a Chinese Bookie episode. <laughs> yes. I'll watch it again and again. For our Patreon. Let's do these awards. All right. The John McClane Yippie motherfucker, award for best quip. Who are the nominees? Well, my... Okay, be nice. Um, be nice. I thought you were telling applause. me, like, before I give <laughs> oh, yeah, you a yeah, sorry. Numbers, that nice. sounded as if it was a dictate. Like, Liam, it, was nice. a, it was in quotes. Yeah. Be nice. Be nice. Pain don't hurt. Nobody ever wins a fight. That's a good line. That's, That's a very... That one I'm... See, I wish 
Pain Don't Hurt had been more like that. There, There is this kind of like samurai thing to this yeah. character where he like offers maxims or ideas that are really interesting. Pain Don't Hurt is not. It's is just not, not but, in keeping But no one ever wins standard. a fight is a. Oh. Nobody ever wins a fight is a great. It's a great line great for piece sure. Of philosophy. Yeah. Tails again. I love that bit where he he stabs Ketchum, the goon Ketchum, with the with the knife that had, in revenge for Sam Elliott's death, he was also killed with a knife. But my my, shall I say what my favorite? Yeah, I, is? I think I know what it is. I used to fuck, fuck guys, guys like, like you, you in, in prison. prison. Yeah, talk about economical backstory. Right, like that is a and Joel Silver came up with that line. Oh, it's such a good line, and it really is a. It's filthy. It's it's depraved. But we learn a lot about that character in one line. It's like the action movie equivalent of Ernest Hemingway's for sale baby shoes never worn. Like it really is. You know that like that great just, like right it, of line. It's just so six. much information in one Yeah, I really took me like line, five seconds to you know? process that line. And yeah. I wrote it down while I was watching the movie. I wrote because I also don't think you would ever hear that in a movie now, which is unfortunate. Like because it just You should just go in for it. You know? <laughs> I mean, but that other than, until that point, Jimmy Reno doesn't really have much of a character beyond being a you know a cool henchman with some some skills. But when he says that, suddenly it gives him like wow, okay, there's more. It gives him a bit more dimension, and it's kind of interesting. Obviously, it's also kind of an absurd line, but it's it's kind of within the context of this movie. Yeah, it's kind of genius. It is genius. It works really really well. My vote. I would vote 100%. I agree with you there. Another line that's not a great quip, but a line that I wrote down is towards the end. Gazara says to Swayze, this town is big enough for the both of us, mm. which I feel like is really speaks to Gazara. My favorite scene in the movie is the scene when he when Gazara gives him his backstory, the Korean War yes. sequence. Because that's the moment when you really understand like who these guys are. Like Everyone works for Ben Gazzara. And Ben Gazzara's like, why don't you come work for me at my club? Mm -hmm. And Swayze's like, there's no amount of money too yeah. much. And it really sets up this like philosopher versus this like unfettered capitalist, right? Yeah. Like the idea that like, you know, it's not like he's a small business owner. He's bleeding this town dry, right? But I love the moment where he says, this town is big enough for both of us because it feels like a reflexive thing for an action movie. Because the whole joke is this town ain't big enough for the yeah, both of us. Yeah, I yeah. love that they choose to kind of they like- They play with that idea They play idea with in that cool idea way. in yeah, a totally yeah. cool way. And though it's not like the best line in the movie, it's, it's an interesting, Gazzara's character- is much, much more interesting than he needs to be. And one of the things that's interesting is you don't, you get his backstory, but like you never get like a scene where someone's like, I hate this guy or something. He's just insidiously enwrapped in this town. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really, really strong. It's a great, it's a great shout. Yeah. So the Hans Gruber Master Thief Award for stealing the movie. We tweaked this rather than yeah. stealing the scene. I think it's like, who is the biggest scene stealer? Can who I stole offer the mine? movie? Can I offer Please. Gentlemen. Wade Garrett. <laughs> I think it has to be Sam Elliott because okay. he shows up like 45, 50 minutes into the movie. You kind of forget he's in it. And every scene, in addition to being like, I mean, what an Adonis of a human. He's just, he's Sam Elliott. Like, like he kind of almost steals Doc away from Patrick Swayze steals, for a night. I think it's impossible for any movie that Sam Elliott is in for that he, is there any movie he hasn't stolen that he's been in? He's just 
so good. Right. That he it, he's so memorable. He's really yeah. You know, he's, he almost steals Big Lebowski and he's yeah. in it for three minutes. The Contender. I remember like he mm. completely stole that movie. Is I that thought, a Ron? You know? What's uh, who's the oh the Contender? Rod Lurie. The Rod Lurie. It's called uh, drama. Gary Oldman's in um, that. Gary Oldman. Yeah, that's and a good Jeff movie. Bridges. I mean, a lot of great actors, a lot of great performances. But to me, I remember Sam Sam Elliott is what I, I, totally I remember. Forgot he's he was just in that. he's just so impactful. I, I'm looking at your which we should post on social media your goon guides. Yeah. And your double deuce team to see if there's anybody yes. who could be Steen Steelers. I think Cody's really good. And he, I have I to had say, him on my list of nominated. He's nominated for sure. I have to say if he had more than one. Keith David is such a presence that although he does not steal the movie, that scene when you're watching it, you're like, oh, it's all about Keith David. All I'm thinking about is the fact that Keith David is in this scene. So just to, so yeah, my, so my nominees were, were Wade, Doc, Jeff Healy. But I'm curious to know, well, you would put Wade Garrett ahead of Brad Wesley for stealing the movie. Your man, Ben Gazzara. That's a good point. I mean, well, listen, Ben Gazzara, Ben Gazzara, akin to Dalton's ben, dilemma. Yeah, <laughs> Ben Gazzara has my heart, but I think that it's first of all, I think it's hard for a character who has who's in that the film that much to steal it. I I I, I think Sam Elliott walks away with the movie, also because he dies. I, I mean, I know that with Brad uh, that Ben Gazzara dies, but he dies at the end of the movie, right? I feel like. Sam Elliott's midway to two thirds of the way exit of like kind of you you wish he was still there. I'd agree. I'd agree. I'd say that Sam Elliott does the most with the least screen time. I also think Kevin Teague is really really good as Frank Tillman and doesn't get that like doesn't get that much screen time actually. But is that's one of those great actors who you're like oh I've seen great that guy and some actor, stuff. Yeah. yeah, he's good. All right, so I'd agree with you by the way for the record. I I, I agree that it's Wade Garrett. Wade Garrett, um, the legend. All right. Followed up closely, I think, by Brad Wesley, yes. for sure. If you want to uh, introduce the next the one? The Dick Thornburg, wow, the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. Oof. Pat McGurn. Sure. He's up there, played by John Doe. He's the bartender who gets fired the and then comes Bartender with the mustache back. who goes, hey, chicken dick with the big knife. O'Connor, played by Michael Ryder, who's kind of like, for a while you think is maybe Brad Wesley's like second in command, and then he humiliates him and he kicks him in the balls yeah. and stuff like that. Tinker. It's got to be on that list. I don't know. There's a lot. <laughs> that's a classic, like, like three stooges curling. Yeah, that's a, someone. Someone should be there. Like, why? I oughta. Like, it's exactly. ridiculous. Who is it? I don't know who it is. Well, um, okay. So yeah, I've I've got Jimmy Reno, the head henchman, thieving barman, Frank McGurn, angry bouncer Morgan. Everyone on this list. Sharing husband. Oh, uh, that guy's Christopher a huge Collins. dick. Uh, Though, is he a bigger dick than the guy who doesn't have the twenty dollars? Well, Good, yeah, good So question. we didn't talk about this I, scene, but there's a scene in the movie okay, where, towards explain? the beginning, where Swayze has just entered the bar. It's like madness in this. It's like the Garden of Earthly Delights, <laughs> Hieronymus Bosch-level depravity. And there's a guy who's like, there's these two dudes drinking Miller Lights, and this guy with his wife, and he's like, you guys, you guys like these? <laughs> it's like impossible to talk He calls them attitudes. Yeah, he calls them attitudes. He's like, you like my wife's tits or something? And and uh, they're like, yeah. And he's like, you can touch him for, you can kiss him for $20. And the guy goes over and he starts touching them. And then it's revealed that he doesn't have the $20. I can't decide All who's hell the breaks bigger loose. dick. I think it's, they're both pretty bad. That ever, scene ever, is no weird, one involved man. in that scene comes out of it smelling a rose. No, yeah, that's true. But my actual pick Ooh, for Dick, Thorne, Dick of the Movie is the heckler who throws the beer bottle at Cody, or the blind guitarist. Yeah. Who goes, You're paid to play, play. Yeah. Throws a bottle at that's him. The, no, that's at the a worst blind guy. man. That's the from 
point blank range. And check this. Not only does he do that, but in the scene that we're discussing with it, with the sharing husband, he actually ambles over to the table and is getting involved and peeping in on on that yeah, whole action. Yeah, he sucks. So so for me the heckler, you paid to play, play. Yeah, that's the right choice. <laughs> he's he's 100%. A movie for me. 100%. I think you're absolutely right. Good choice. Um and his on-screen death, off-screen death is my favorite death. Let's in the hope movie. that he did have a, yeah. a doll just it's... ran him over or something. Exactly. <laughs> so and then our final... The best death. Best death. Now, not a ton of nominees. Not a ton of Not a lot of people die in this movie. What's the best, de best death in Die Hard? What do we I, I said it was... We differed. I think you liked Marco and I liked Hans Gruber's death. Okay. So the Hans... We can't call it the Hans Gruber Award, though. So let's call mm. it the No More Table Award for best death. It's got to be um, Jimmy Reno getting his throat ripped out. It's iconic. Yeah, that's... that's for me, it was that... Or Brad Wesley's Brad death. Brad Wesley's death is good. Yeah, it's got to be one of those two, and I got to go with the iconic throat ripping. I, yeah. I feel like this movie's known for the throat rip. Right, right, right. I'd agree. I would agree. All right, we got it. We got that one. We got it done there. So good. if we have time, let's um, do it. We, it's time to play Double Jeopardy, our quiz trivia where the scores can really change. Okay, so I have a few. All I have right. three questions for you. Okay, and I hope our listeners all Ben um, Gazzara themed. <laughs> our listeners can play at home. Okay. Which 1989 buddy cop action movie did Patrick Swayze drop out of to star in Roadhouse? Lethal Weapon. No, it can't be. Of course, Lethal Weapon is 1986. Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Wait, who is he supposed he to play? He was supposed to play the Kurt Russell part, which was Gabriel Cash. Oh, right. I, Kurt Russell's great in that movie. But yeah, it worked out. Like, we got two classics. Yeah, just, yeah. That's you know. Tango and Cash is great. Also, okay. in my the reason I almost didn't say Tango and Cash is because I thought Tango and Cash was earlier than 1989. I thought it was like a 1986 movie. No. Anyways. It was actually the last released movie of the 80s. Wow, we're in a Christmas movie. What a, what a, hey, Is Mom, Tango and Cash a Christmas our, movie? We our Christmas shopping. <laughs> Let's go see what's playing at the multiplex. Go and see it any, anytime. Oh, a, a Kuchlowski film? Let's do it. All right. Question number two. One female Roadhouse cast member also appears briefly in Die Hard. Who is it? Is it the lady who's into him at the bar, but that he kind of ignores? Who is it? No. Okay, um, let me get, hang on, hang on. Is it, I don't remember her name. Is it Carrie Ann? No. Huh. I don't know. All right, well, we've just- I quit. We just talked about her. I'm leaving. Cheryl Baker, who is credited as, and I'm quoting, well-endowed wife, as in the character that we are just yeah, talking yeah, about, yeah. who is offered by the sharing uh, husband. She also appears in Die Hard as the office worker who is interrupted mid-coitus by the arrival I knew of you Hans were Gruber say that. and his team. What? She's also in Lethal Weapon as Girl in Shower 1. So, and our third and final question. So you've got one, you got one right, you got one yeah. wrong. This is to win it. Okay. Which Roadhouse cast member also provided the voice of iconic 80s animated bad guys Cobra Commander from G.I. Joe and Starscream from Transformers? Oh, shit. It's not on this list, is it? It is not. Okay, you got to give me a clue. Cobra he, Commander and Starscream? He was in the running for Dick of the Movie. Who is it? Okay, this was an amazing piece of trivia that I stumbled across. So Christopher Collins, who plays the sharing husband, had a parallel career as a voice actor at oh some note. Oh my God. Under the stage name Christopher Latter. And he originated the voice of Mr. Burns in The Simpsons before being replaced by Harry Shearer. He was also a stand-up comic who described himself on stage as a psychotic who's learned to market his problem. 
So that guy, the sharing husband, was is Cobra Star Commander and Cobra and Commander, and un- did a ton of voice unbelievable. acting. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So I was that. I, that was wild. and he has this like three second bit part. in, yeah. in uh, as a in, truly awful in Roadhouse. Wow! Great voice though. Great voice. I never would have. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll hear a voice and be like, oh, that's, you know, whoever, whatever the case is. It's absolutely Unbelievable. bizarre. All right. So wrapping up, where does Roadhouse fit in the action movie tradition for you? I mean, it definitely feels it's between two types of movies. Like there's the neo-Western. I think that's a great thing that you pinned it on. It, it doesn't, you know, in terms of its Die Hard, first of all, I think Die Hard is a, a far more successful movie. Uh, I mean, Die Hard just has everything like real. I was actually, this made me reflect on the fact that Die Hard's compression, the fact that it takes place in one location in one night, does such wonders for its story. Like, it almost, watching this in relation to that, this feels a little more ambling. A little baggy. A little baggy, yeah. yeah. I think it could be 10 minutes shorter, potentially. But, I mean, a super good time. Not not in my top tier of action movies, but, like, I'm glad I filled a hole yeah. that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't seen. How about for you? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan. You know, I, I love Roadhouse. I don't, I think it's, I would, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to make many people's top 10 yeah. action movie lists yeah. or a sort of top 10 of the of the 80s but it's a movie that i i know has a huge uh, has a huge following has a lot of people love this movie and as i said if it's nothing else if not thoroughly entertaining from start to finish swayze is terrific gazar is terrific elliot is terrific kelly lynch is terrific it's pop peppered with a bunch of great character actors and it, it is just nonsense no i had fun. a great time and and it feels like perched i don't know like action movies 80s i would say 80s and 90s are my era for action movies i don't think we've you know but it feels like it's perched at the end of that like first wave of greatness of of the action movie yeah it's definitely it's it's almost it's a fitting ending towards the eight the 80s tradition of of action movies being as it came out in 1989 finally well first of all throat rips out of five three okay you I'd give it three and a half. Hmm, I'll okay. give it three and a half. I'm going down to two and a half throat rips. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. No, three and a five I think is good. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's I think fair. It's fair. Yeah, what's our next movie? Well, I would love to discuss with you 1989's License to Kill. Ooh, this, the one of two Timothy Dalton starring James Bond films. A real outlier in the Bond in the Bond canon that I believe is heavily influenced by by Die Hard. I think you're right. And and features a young Benicio del Toro. Yeah, amongst amongst some some fascinating some fascinating actors. Uh, well, I'm very excited to talk about that. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Philip Gawthorne. This was Die Hard on a Blank. We'll be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. <laughs> Bye guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast hosted and written by Philip Gawthorn. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Please rate, review, and subscribe and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Suki Chu and the whole team at Sugar23. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.